Welcome to Expert Opinion, the branding business forum where leaders share their views, insights, and experiences from the world of B2B branding. And now, here's your host. I'm Ryan Rikus, and today's show topic focuses on leadership, specifically tribal leadership. How to recognize, build, and leverage the formation of natural groups within an organization to achieve significant results. So, fortunately, we have a, um, an expert on the topic. Uh, please welcome Dave Logan, founding partner and president of the management consulting firm CultureSync. Dave's also the contributor and co-author of a number of New York Times best-selling books, the most recent being Tribal Leadership. For a little background, I saw Dave recently at the YPO Global Leadership Conference. I have since read his book and watched his TED Talk, so I'll use these experiences to guide our discussions today. Dave, welcome to Brand New Business. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Let me start with uh, how I first uh, got to know you, and that was at the YPO Conference. Your opening remarks spoke about um, your beliefs about uh, an MBA in the box, uh, the four components of any successful organization, strategy, systems, structure, and culture. And I thought it was just interesting. thought maybe we could begin our discussion with uh, your viewpoint. Yeah, sure. Well, so I've been involved. In, so one of the lives that I leave is I've been a business educator for many years, been on the USC faculty approaching 20 years in the business school, was associate dean there for many years, and in that role taught and then managed the delivery of, of all sorts of programs. And I'm always looking for, if you take something big, like what does it take to make a successful business, People will answer that in different ways. I'm always looking for the irreducible element. Are there three things you need? Are there seven things you need? And, and really, what are they? And it seems as though the field is going in the direction of reducing what used to be seven or eight factors down to those four that you just listed. So if you're running a business of any size, Fortune 10 through a startup, you have to get those four right, and you have to get those four to work well together. That's the holy grail. Our topic today is going to speak primarily about one of them, uh, culture. And in our world of brand strategy, we realize certainly the importance of culture in being able to um, evolve a brand and, more importantly, for the uh, evolved brand to take shape within an organization. I think uh, Peter Drucker said it famously, uh, culture eats strategy for breakfast. And without uh, the ability to uh, work within an established uh, culture or help evolve a culture, uh, no matter how great your strategy is, it's not going to be successful. Yeah, it's very true. Let's speak about your book and uh, tribal leadership. And uh, so, of course, there's a lot of books on leadership, but uh, certainly the approach you take around tribes, uh, maybe you can speak to uh, to that topic. Yeah, sure. And actually, let me just start by backing up a step. Were you talking about about branding that is, I believe, one of the most misunderstood and misapplied subjects in business. Uh, usually, if a company does a brand or rebrand, it's all about the externality of that. It's about the logo, the message that is conveyed by the font, the tagline, the brand promise. It's all outward-looking. And today, with businesses being um, forced into transparency because of social media and, and, and other factors, if it's, a, if it's a company of any size, you're known for the interactions that people have with you or that people have within the company because they're blogging or tweeting about it. So this idea that, that there's a brand that is outside and then inside we have a culture, I think that we just have to blow up that thought and really start over. 
There has mm-hmm. to be this absolute alignment between the culture that we have inside and the brand that we're offering to the outside world. Most companies don't get that right. So actually, if you're going to begin a branding time, the first place you have to go is inside the company. And you have to look for what we call tribes, which are naturally occurring groups. These are the basic building block of every human endeavor. And they're between 20 and 150 people in size. And you can rate them on a kind of one to five scale. So we don't advise companies to even begin a branding discussion until you're at stage four out of five. Um, up until you get to that point, there's really no single culture that you can speak of. It's a bunch of warring individuals at best. Interesting. Well, we certainly agree with you in, in the terms of uh, having an internal culture, and you're absolutely right. The majority of the time we get hired, it's for an external branding initiative uh, to help the company grow through increased clarity and in their value proposition to their core audience. At the same time, as we go through the process, it becomes very, very clear that the need for this internal alignment and uh, cultural adoption is is critical. So you're absolutely right. We would never uh, advise a client to launch an external brand until that internal work work is done. Well, um, maybe you can speak a little bit. Uh, you mentioned the uh, the different uh, levels of tribes. Maybe you can chat with us a little bit about that. Yeah, sure. There are five, and so starting at the bottom, everything we don't want, and then moving up to the top where we have everything we do want. I'm a language person. I look at the, the words that people use in the relationship to other words. So in what we call stage one, the words that people use net out to the phrase, life sucks. That life is just unfair. You cannot get a good deal. And so people will do whatever it takes to survive, maybe to right the imbalance that they perceive. And this is where you have tribes within organizations that do things like steal things. They'll get in fistfights at work. And it may get much worse. You may have workplace violence. You may have homicides at work. A lot of the the FBI tells us that a lot of homicides are actually not categorized as workplace. They start at work, but they may end up at the bar. But So it's not categorized as a workplace homicide. So those things are unfortunately very, very common. In our own studies, stage one accounts for about 2% of tribes in companies. So that's stage one. If you go to stage two, this is a much bigger problem. It accounts for 25% of tribes. And what people say here is not life sucks, but my life sucks, which may not sound like a big deal, but it's actually a huge difference. Stage one is a, you might say, a generalized complaint about life. Stage two, I can see that life is working for some people. It's just not working for me. And usually it's that person's fault or that group's fault. It could be the board. It could be my boss. It could be the market. It could be my spouse. It could be my dog. But there's some excuse. And we're not in the business of, of judging uh, cultures. So in some cases, the complaint that people have at stage two may be very legitimate. But the key to stage two, to really understanding it, is there is a deflection of accountability. So people don't own the problem. They don't. They don't in the words that they use, there's not much they can do about the problem. So, you know, just going back to branding for a minute, imagine if you launched a a rebranding campaign in a company that had a whole bunch of tribes that were at stage two. There's almost no chance that the company will ever live up to even the most modest brand promise that it sets. So that's stage two. Stage three is 49, almost half, 49% of tribes. And the theme here is I'm great and you're not. So it's individually competitive. 
And this is where you have groups of, it could be doctors, it could be lawyers, it could be where I spend a lot of time in academia, so a lot of college professors, it could be the other places spend a lot of time in management consulting. And really, other people are good, but I'm better. And if you get in my face about it or you ask me or you present an idea that is in any way counter to mine, I'll point out in no uncertain terms that I am, in fact, better at this than you are. So this internal competition is a real problem. Again, we can't brand effectively at stage three because there's no alignment on what the brand should be. And if you set it and then impose it, people just won't do it. They're what physicians like to say are non-compliant. So then stage four, where it, becomes, it begins to get fun, the theme is we're great. Remember, these are tribes. It's not necessarily the whole company. But at the tribe, so we're great and someone else isn't. And this is where high performance begins to show up. So stage three outperforms stage two by quite a lot. Stage two actually outperforms stage one because people aren't walking away with the, you know, the furniture. So stage four is where you get all of those boosts in, in increase uh, or increased performance and alignment, uh, teamwork. People tend to make decisions based on their core values. They tend to move as one, and that's really the sweet spot. There, and that accounts for 22% of tribes. There is one more level. If you do the math, you'll see that I've left out 2%. So stage five, the theme of it is life is great. And this is where a tribe loses any sense of a competitor. So at stage four, we're great and that other tribe isn't or that other business isn't. So there's a rivalry. Stage five is a pure values play. That's where you see the, the history-making innovation that, that really changes things. So that's tribal leadership in a box. Okay, cool. Well, I guess my biggest question is that um, how do you evolve people to move from three to four with the greatest number of people already stuck in, in three and because it feels natural because right. that's how they probably climb the uh, the corporate ladder is by proving how great they are individually. How do you, it seems like it's a big challenge to move people from, from three to four. Yeah, and there's a lot of ways of doing it. You can appeal to people's aspirations. That works in some cultures. So you find the values that they that they align with or the vision in a lot of businesses like higher ed or management consulting or accounting, you can go back to the question, why did you decide to become part of this business or why did you decide to join this this profession or this industry? And usually there's there's something noble that's operating in the background, so you want to take it from the background into the foreground. That's one way to do it. Another way to do it is you can appeal to people's baser instincts of fear that if you don't actually start working together and make decisions as one, we may go out of business or this other company is going to steal our market share and there will be no year-end bonuses. So you can appeal to fear. You can appeal to aspirations. The, um, again, there's a lot of other little, little things that go into it, but one of the biggest that I would offer to people is begin to form three-person relationships. So the key for moving to I'm great to we're great from stage three to stage four is the emergence of what we call triads, T-R-I-A-D. And if you, if you want to think of a very just clear example of that, it turns out Phil Jackson, the now he's with the Knicks, the former Lakers coach, before that the Bulls coach, was um, somewhat of a fan of tribal leadership. He wrote in 11 Rings, his latest book, that he had to move the Bulls and then later the Lakers from stage three to four. And one of the things that happened as they began to make that migration is the famous passing game. So if I'm at stage three and I'm playing basketball and I get the ball, of course I'm going to shoot because the rest of you are idiots. 
So I'm going to take the shot. But at stage four, then I'm going to try to pass the ball in a way that if I pass it to someone, that he will in turn be able to pass it to someone else. So the, these kind of three-person relationships are what you begin to see at, uh, at stage four. So you can proactively create those and go a long way. So what's the role of a triad? How, how do they work together? Well, the triad is the basic building block of stage four. And remember, tribes are the basic building block of any human endeavor. Mm-hmm. So at a very basic level, instead of a boss, trying to solve a problem and meeting with their direct reports in these one-on-one meetings. Those are all two-person relationships. Make them three-person. So you might, you might do, uh, so you might meet with two direct reports at the same time. Or as you're meeting with a direct report and some issue comes up, instead of you trying to solve it together, or what's more likely, you're going to solve it and tell them what to do, bring another person into that part of the meeting and make it that person's problem to essentially stabilize the relationship between you and the other the other person, and amazing things will happen. I just want to see just a really kind of clear example of this. Mm-hmm. I do these very, very big um, keynotes, often 2,000 people or more. And so just imagine that you give people some little project and imagine this huge you know, stadium of, say, 5,000 people, and you just divide it in half. So everybody on my left, to solve this, you're going to find one other person, and you're going to discuss that until you have a solution. And on my right you're going to form three-person relationships. Don't give them any other instructions, just that. So two-person versus three-person. The three-person side will, number one, do it much faster. Number two, have many more people that do it, so higher success rate. And number three, have almost no opt-outs. So opt-out is where people on on the one side, on the left, will say, this is stupid, I don't want to do this. At stage four, they don't do that. If one person says that, you have two people that you're answering to instead of just one. That's a very powerful technique. Well, curious, um, how does an organization uh, utilize this? I mean, where does it start? Does it start at the CEO, president level, or does it start in HR or at the management level? How, how do you kind of uh, practically move through a process in a, within an organization? Well, it doesn't need to start at the top, but you better get the top on board very quickly. So remembering that it's all about tribes. We've seen this start in the middle of organizations. We've seen it start with a manager who's reporting to a senior manager, who's reporting to a director, who's reporting to a vice president, all the way up. But what we have seen again and again is that the top executives will often stop it without knowing what they're doing. Now, keep in mind, I've been in the management education business for a really long time. I've helped to turn out thousands of MBAs. The way that we usually train MBAs is you've got your direct reports, so let's say there's 10 of them, and then they in turn have direct reports and so on. So you find those 10 people, and you have one-on-one meetings with them. And you're nice about it, but if you just take away all the nonsense, look, I'm your boss. I'm going to tell you what to do. You're going to do these four things, and I'm going to come back, and I'm going to evaluate you on a weekly basis on how you're doing. And at the end of six months or a year, I may give you a raise or a promotion based on how you do. So go do that. And then I have my next meeting, and I do that over and over and over. So I manage through these two-person relationships. Then I'll have meetings, but essentially that's the basic building block. So just think about that. As that cascades down through the organization, that is going to create stage three. Mm -hmm. And then the people who are on the losing side of that, the people who are maybe not succeeding, will fall to stage two. So here's the really interesting thing about tribes. If you just measure them in society – the levels are much higher than you see in organizations. There's more stage four, there's more stage five. But in companies, we have a problem 
Because how we've trained managers for years creates as a byproduct of really old management bad cultures. And then go back to what Peter Drucker said, culture eats strategy for breakfast. So if you want to boil all this down to a set of steps, number one, find the most important tribe in your business. It's usually a sales tribe, but not necessarily. Find the, the one that is going to make the biggest impact. Number two, assess where they are. Are they at stage two? Are they at stage three? Are they at stage four? And then number three is you essentially want to move them up one level. You can never skip stages. So if they're three, they can only go to four. If they're two, they can only go to three. And then as you're doing that, you want to make sure that you get the top leadership of the company on board. And a lot of people ask me, the most common question that I get is, what if my CEO won't do it? And my answer is, there's a bunch of things you can try, but if at the end of the day you really can't get your top leadership on board, it's probably going to fail. Everything starts at the top. It does indeed. Well, how about um, the idea of uh, core values within an organization? How, how, do, how does the value uh, system uh, play into this? Yeah, and again, that's a great question for branding. Remember that this is tribes. This is not organizations. So mm-hmm. most organizations don't hire for values. They hire for skills or competencies or past history of success in a similar job. So then you have people who don't necessarily value the same thing. But you want to find the few values that cut across the people you actually have. So you want to identify the values of the employees, not just the values of the board or the management. So find the values that people have at a tribal level. There are lots of very interactive processes. You know, you, you mentioned your clients. We do this all the time with, with, with groups where we lead them through this very, um, you know, kind of fun bottom-up process where you identify the values. And then those values become uh, the way that you lead and the way that you lead everything, including branding. So, you know, you, you and I may see this a little differently. I think that the core values work needs to precede branding. That's my view, and I know a lot of people in marketing who disagree, but that's my view. And so you identify the values, and then everything has to be either consistent with those values or removed, including your branding and your and your core competitive strategy in the market. So that's how we do it. We actually find that most organizations have uh, some level of values already established, but we find that they're typically not being followed very carefully. Yeah. So uh, our process where we evaluate how the brand can establish itself as a unique uh, in a unique competitive advantage uh, by doing that we also help organizations evolve their uh, their core statements of purpose vision mission and values and then mm-hmm. that helps get people very much aligned with leadership in the sense of okay here's now where the organization's going and more importantly here's how I feel I could possibly fit in yeah. so that's where it all starts that that's where it, the, the taking off point for us is yeah and it's it's similar for us um the one thing that I would add is uh, there's one thing about values that is commonly misunderstood. If you think of great brands, the best brands in the world, or the best leaders, they are not only aspirational, they are also oppositional. So there's something they stand for. There's also something that they stand against. And we think the key to all of this is actually finding the, that opposition point. So Nike's famous, just do it. That's obviously aspirational, but it's also oppositional. They're against laziness. They're against complacency. You know, don't complain. Just put on your shoes and go run. You think of Apple, very anti-establishment at its roots. Uh, Apple has really, in my opinion, fallen off the, you know, the the right road at the moment. But traditionally, they were an oppositional brand. Cartier, an oppositional brand. Porsche, an oppositional brand. Then you think of the brands that are just in the sea where companies easily get lost. 
And people can usually identify an aspirational point, but they mm-hmm. can't identify what it opposes. So that's the key for both values and, in our opinion, branding as well. Couldn't agree with you more. Uh, definitely, uh, branding is the art of strategy. If you want to be known for something, you have to give up on the other side of things. You have to be able to uh, commit and not try to please everybody at the same time. Yeah, exactly, and probably make some enemies along the way. Uh, probably, yes. Well, Dave, our uh, our time has gone fast. Um, we're almost through, but um, I wanted to give you an opportunity to speak a little bit about your 21-day leadership challenge. I, I saw that on your website and intrigued by it. So uh, if you'd like to share a little bit about that. Yeah, sure. So um, yeah, I've had the, the privilege of learning from the very best people in leadership, and most of those folks are now up there in age. And a number of years ago I was challenged by a, group, a nonprofit group that said, why is it that the only people who have access to the best leadership work are probably either they're either sitting in a Fortune 500 company and they're they've been identified as high potential, or they are an individual and they're spending a lot of money by going to get an executive MBA like the one that I teach in. And isn't there a way to, if you will, democratize that or at least make that available to everyone? And so what we did in response was to create this thing called the 21 Day Leadership Challenge. It's a video that gets sent out to you every day, and as soon as you take a look at that video, the next one gets sent. They're very short videos; they're just three minutes a day. Each one is asking you to take on a specific challenge or take a specific action. Most actions can be taken in about 20 minutes, so it's about a 23-minute-a-day commitment. And what we promise is at the end of that 21-day challenge, if you go all the way through it and, you know, thousands have, that you will see a very noticeable uptick in your key performance indicators. So that's what we do, and, you know, it's fun. So if anybody wants to sign up for that, it it is um, completely free. Just go to my website. It's easy to remember, Dave Logan, D-A-V-E-L-O-G-A-N.com, and there's a link on there for the 21-day challenge. There's also a link for the audio book, free download of the audio book for Tribal Leadership, which, as you said, was the number one New York Times bestseller. Tony Shea, the famous guy, CEO from Zappos, did the preface to the to the paperback edition. So he reads that preface in our audiobook, and then I went and recorded just a session with him in his office. We kept the microphone running for about 10 minutes to get his thought about culture, my thought about culture, and how it all worked together. That's on there, too. So hopefully that will be a good resource for people. Perfect. Well, thanks for sharing that, Dave. And uh, thank you for being a, a guest on Branding Business. Thank you. My pleasure.